we always perceive to act and act to perceive and in these cycles of perception and action some what he called affordances emerge affordances are uh, invitations to act this is glenn murphy with nc sistema and this is sistema for life Raul, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Glenn. Great. So, so you're enjoying nice. a nice afternoon there in Madrid. So you're based at the uh, Polytechnic University of Madrid, is that right? Yes, that's right. In, at the Sports Science School in Polytechnic uh, University of Madrid. Yes. So you are you a professor there? Do you teach or do you do research or both? Both. I teach a subject called Games in the sports science so and i do research research in also in the skill acquisition that's the the main part that i'm going to talk about here i think okay so, great and what's your uh, what's your connection to sistema you're a sistema instructor in madrid too i've been studying sistema for six years now i'm not the instructor so our instructor in madrid in madrid sistema is called alvaro alvaro chapa but i'm just a student there since 2013. Great. So you've been listening to the podcast, listening to us talk about movement and how things work, and you're like, there's something more you need to know about how movement and skills work, right? Yeah. So sometimes, you know, when, when I uh, hear some of the of the contributors uh, talking and, and they, they say something that I say, oh, maybe, I don't know, some clarification, some, something when... when People were talking about automatization and the thing, the debate about conscious and subconscious or unconscious and all that. So, it, I mean, I wanted to to say something on on, on that part. So, your expert area of, of expertise, we'd love love to get your views on how it comes together. So, it seems like your work has spanned quite a lot. I've just been looking a little bit into your like publications and the things you've been working on. So, you've studied everything from the development of uh, and socialization of like judo and MMA, and f- even from like the formalization of jogging and running in the USA, even the sociology of dueling and fencing. It sounds like an absolutely fascinating field to get into. How did you how did you end up doing this? Do you know why? Because in my thesis, uh, one of my one of the parts of the thesis was more socio-historical analysis mm. of combat sports and martial arts, and the other part was uh, ethnographic. So I spent four years uh, doing ethnography in Aikido and boxing, mm. and I wanted to compare the ways in, in this. Uh, lessons, uh, violence was negotiated, mm. so to say, so on how it was regulated into apparently very different activities like boxing and, and Aikido. So that was, that was my starting point. But then after that, I just, I mean, I always wanted or I, I would like to do combat sports and martial arts. So I continue, especially in Aikido like for nine years, I think, nine years. And from then, I got interested in Sistema. Mm. And then I, I practiced Sistema. And since the last year, I've been doing BJJ for a year already. So I'm okay. doing at the same school. I'm doing both. Great. Okay, excellent. So and any major, uh, any major findings, any major results from looking at the... The ways in which people have used boxing and dueling and stuff like that. The idea, uh, I mean, the interesting thing was that um, in every class, not only in the activity, but in every class, there's uh, like a sum between two thresholds. Mm. What I, I call thresholds of violence, an upper and a lower. So between those two, uh, you have a cluster of actions that are um, legitimate within class. Mm. So. Uh, lower than the low threshold, uh, you don't want that because this is so light or so boring. So you need more action, more intensity. Hmm. But above the the high threshold, you have forbidden forbidden actions that you wouldn't do that in the gym. Hmm. So, uh, but did um, this. 
this zone or this yeah this well, I mean there's there's a, a concept called tension balance so the adequate tension balance that it's uh, between these two thresholds uh, it takes time to settle I mean mm. and the structure the structure is of course this is a key component a key player mm. but also seniors and other students especially when when newcomers go to the gym and they encounter for the first time an activity so um, you see that people, some of them, they abandon the activities, some of them stick to the activities. So um, one of the reasons is because this, the, I mean, it has to do with the intensity and the what I call violence or I mean, sure. the intensity of the practice. So sometimes you go to a gym and it's too much for you, so you just get away or, or the other way around, you're expecting, I don't know what you say, a more realistic or more intense and you go to a place that you're not doing that kind of thing so you just walk away so yeah i think this is very very relevant to sistema i think because it it seems to me there's a big spread of the ways that people um teach sistema and what they emphasize some some clubs just like to bang you know they're like we're the hard Mm -hmm. style you know we just like to come in and Mm -hmm. smash each other up and others are very much trying to work slowly a lot of the time they're trying to work on sensitivity Mm -hmm. on slow skill acquisition things like that and everyone in between right um but it it seems that sometimes that can work against us for um, getting new students in. <laughs> if I get students from MMA or other styles, they they expect more banging um, from my, from my class than there is a lot of the time. And on the flip side, if I get students who come from yoga or Aikido or Feldenkrais or something, they expect more soft and they they're surprised when they get punched in the face. So it's, it's a difficult balance to strike it, like tension balance. One of the things uh, that you commented just now about the slow training, mm. so. I mean, people many times they don't realize that it's important. This is low training for the exploration of many possibilities that otherwise you wouldn't be able to do it. Sure. I mean, because otherwise, if you go full speed and full intensity all the time, you're going to do the same thing many times. So you get the stack in, in some options, but you don't expand the whole range. Yeah. So this uh, slow training can can allow you, um, yeah, to explore these these uh, these uh, motor problems in a more diverse way. Yeah, this is fascinating. So we hear this all the time from um, from Vladimir and from Michael and from people up the chain. Um, but you're talking about it from a sports science perspective, right? You're a PhD in mm-hmm. sports science and you understand the neurology. And I know we're both fans of uh, Nikolai Bernstein mm-hmm. and his mo- his you know pre. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like what what underpins that need to go slow and why is it that we can't just learn things fast? The idea, the idea that I I would like to say at this point is that. Um, Otherwise, at, at full speed, at fullest in intensity, you don't have either the confidence or either the preparation to explore other possibilities. So it's just too much to mm. start with. So you can go full speed, but you also need this slow, slow um, uh, work. Because, as I say, otherwise you're going to fall into the same patterns again and again. It's difficult to to try new things when your integrity is on the line. Yeah, you know. So, um, and Bernstein was saying the the famous quote about repetition without repetition, the solution of motor problems again and again, but with. Uh, diversification or diversity or variety so Hmm. that's important because in this sense you start to expand your your motor task task space what is called motor task space so you open up the the possibilities and uh, yeah open new ways but so how does that um so how does that time with what you call non-linear non-linear pedagogy like what what is nonlinear pedagogy, and how does it differ from the linear way that in which sports are usually taught? Mm. Nonlinear. I've like I'd rather uh, to introduce the concept of constraints led pedagogy. Sure. Yeah. They're they're connected, but nonlinear is uh, related to um, dynamic system, and maybe it's this is a bit more complex. But dynamic system, I mean, it's like. Um, 
conceiving a subject like a neuro neurobiological system with a, you have the neurons, you have the limbs, you have a, a joints, you have tendons, you have many parts that have to coordinate. So uh, from the dynamic system approach, this neuro neurobiological system self uh, organize itself at certain levels. Like okay, you you don't you don't control the way of your tone or directly. You can influence that on an indirect manner, as we do with the breathing and all that. But directly, you can you cannot do that. And the synchronicity between some of the uh, joints or limbs or so the idea is that instead of trying to control every part in this uh, huge chain that is uh, interrelated and coordinated, uh, instead of doing that, because you're going to disturb the pattern if you try to control everything by over-intellectualizing everything, like, you know, when, when somebody tries to, to give you uh, the template, the solution, and explain everything, cut into little pieces, and then um, want you to to follow precisely as mm. this would be like a program. You have to do this, that, and that. So in the end, you're going to disturb your natural way of doing things, of coupling with the environment that is surrounding you. There's a, a concept called field of promoted action that is very interesting because you don't just um, let students do whatever they want. You constrain their ways uh, in, with certain circumstances. So the solutions that they're going to find are channeled towards some area where you want them to explore. You know, so there's no unique solution. Mm. There's a, what is called um, a solution manifold because it depends a lot on the personal style of the subject. And in Sistema, for instance, you know that, that we have people coming from boxing or Aikido or MMA or kickboxing. So they have that. They have also their own level of skill, their own, I mean, the age, the the... Uh, fitness level as well so all this is going to constrain the solution that they're going to find mm. right so instead of just one template like a kata and you have to copy this form and copy again and again and again till you automatize this mm. okay the idea is not you're going to explore in in certain tasks that distrust instructor is going to provide, you're going to explore a solution to this motor problem and you're going to find one that is particular, it's mm. personal. So that's that's why many times the instructors say, okay, don't copy me, don't do what I do because it's going to spoil the whole thing. It's not going to work exactly for you. Yeah. So in the end, it's going to, I mean, when you see people doing systemas, you're going to see some familiarity Mm. among their actions, but they're not doing the same thing. And it's not, I mean, this is from, from a constraint-led perspective, this is, okay, this is good. Mm. Because in, in a traditional uh, model or viewpoint, variety is seen as noise. Mm. So you have to, to delete this noise or mm. to decrease this noise until you get the template that the instructor has posed for you. Mm. But this is not the way you train in system. In system, as you, I mean, the constraints-less perspective, you give the students some constrained activities for them to explore and find their own solutions. So it seems, um, so it sounds like there are kind of two levels of constraints, right? There are the constraints that maybe the practitioner comes to the class with like age or previous experience athletic ability fitness mobility ability to go up and down from the ground um and then there's another level of constraints that that we introduce as instructors right for example like you can wrestle but don't use your arms you know for a while or something like that you know to to emphasize leg movement or hip movement in fact there are three types three okay. types subjects constrained 
that it's related, as you say, height, weight, age, level of skill, level of stress, all this. Mm. Then we have task constraints related to goals, rules, equipment. So it's not the same if you do something with a knife that without a knife or with a stick, mm. or the rules are that you only can punch or you can punch and grab. So this is different. And there are also environmental constraints related to light, humidity, but also peer pressure or an audience. And mm. so you have all these different constraints. And the instructor needs to provide activities with uh, introducing these constraints, especially task constraints. Mm. Okay. So, but you do it in, in, in precise ways for them to explore. So for instance, for instance, um, I recently, I've recently um, seen a video for the Osaka seminar that Vladimir, uh, uh, I think it was last, last week or two weeks yeah. ago, he was talking about a fear of contact, something mm. like this, fear of contact. So imagine from the traditional uh, viewpoint, you would say to the to the person, okay, you shouldn't flinch or you shouldn't uh, close your eyes because then you lose control of the opponent. You don't know where where is he. So and and you would say, okay, don't don't close your eyes, don't flinch, and explain again and again and get frustrated with the guy because he's doing the normal reaction. Okay, yeah. but you're not going any farther, but. Instead of that, uh, Vladimir proposed just a very simple progression, right? So starting with contact in the face, then just pushing the face, then getting mon more distance and you get uh, uh, like a punch hmm. or you put a, a palm near your, your eyes and then a person is going to punch into the palm, not into your eyes, so you get used to it. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a training, you get the conditions for the subject to experience that, to explore that, and and get solutions instead of just telling you what to do because yeah. this is not helping. I mean, I, I can tell you once, but if if it doesn't work, what I'm gonna do? So I yeah. propose these activities for you to experience within uh, your whole uh, being, not just intellectually, mm. right? Because, and, and this is the idea of the theoretical models, these are very important because in the traditional way, we tend to think of a brain as a computer, a mm. central controller, that you get the sensory information, you process the information, and then you get like a solution and execute through your body. Okay, that's the... That's the the commonsensical idea that the still is permeating many of the yeah, many of our ideas. Sure. Okay. For instance, yeah. when when we talk about the yeah the UDA loop and yeah. all this, I mm. mean, this is precisely that kind of thinking, right? But the constraints constraints led pedagogy is based on uh, ecological psychology of James Gibson. So Gibson was talking about not the brain as a, a computer, not something, I mean, cognition and perception is not something that happens inside the head mm. of a person right. uh, and in an indirect way. So he was talking about functional relations between subject and environment. And uh, we, he said that we always perceive to act and act to perceive. And in these cycles of perception and action, some what he called affordances emerge. Affordances are uh, invitations to act mm. or opportunities to act. Yeah. Okay. So um, within these this, uh, this cycles of perception and action, some of these affordances appear. So for instance, you're sparring and you as we talk about, you see the opportunity, you see a space to, to hit, you see an opportunity to grab. These are the affordances. They emerge dynamically hmm. and you don't need to, to compute all these, uh, all these uh, things in your head. They're happening in direct perception, but these affordances emerge 
um, constrained in certain ways, constrained mm. by, as we say, by your own uh, intrinsic uh, constraint. Like for instance, you're stressed out, so you have tunnel vision, you have all that, so you you're not going to perceive in a good way what's going on sure. around you. But imagine also there are there's no light or this is uh, it's very dark so mm. your options also your affordances are limited or imagine that you are in an mma fight and there are some rules that prevent you from kicking in the groin for instance mm. so this action is less likely to appear in this occasion mm. than if you are in a in a street fight Sure. That you don't have these roles, so this action is going to to happen there. So this this is interesting. So the, what what you're referring to is affordances here. It sounds mm-hmm. like um, the same thing that Vladimir often talks about. Just and he just calls it freedom. You know, freedom to act, freedom to think, mm-hmm. and um, training under him for many many years. It seems like that his emphasis is uh, always on kind of increasing your ability to see increasing your ability to see those opportunities those affordances right um and and in order to do that he's he's talking about doing all the things that you say will actually help with that so he's like you have to decrease you have to you know build your own capacity as the subject your capacity for mobility Mm -hmm. for movement um you have to train slow so that you can practice seeing these things and become aware Mm -hmm. of the ways in which limbs can work independently or targets can become available um but also kind of this whole idea of knowing yourself right so that you can Mm -hmm. reduce psychological tension that you get more control over your nervous system before it starts to Mm -hmm. influence your muscular tension Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing so so that you have more opportunities to see and and when you work directly with vladimir or with i mean Mm -hmm. you mentioned you were with uh you were in lisbon with martin wheeler a few weeks ago right you went to some other so a good friend of mine Mm -hmm. he was just here as well Um, Mm and when you work with Mm -hmm. people martin's level vladimir's level emmanuel manolakakis another good friend of mine you, you mm-hmm. get the sense that they just see so much more that they it's yeah. like they they see 50 frames sure. for the three that sure. you'll see <laughs> like you see the start <laughs> you see the middle and then you see the end and they see 50 things in between that they could have done and their bodies are just kind of choosing one in between and and as a instructor myself you know i see a way more than most mm-hmm. of my students do but there's kind of like a, a graduation um but so, how do you how do you organize the training such mm-hmm. that that becomes more uh, able to do it. is it inherent in the system of method or is there something else we have to do as teachers to organize things efficiently i i think i mean i think system is i mean is fantastic in this sense i mean it's like it's very much a constraints-led uh, approach mm. i mean even if uh, maybe system instructors they're not aware of that but they're they have some of these principles they're they're the same so Gibson, for instance, he was talking about the education of attention. Mm. The education of attention. So you just need to provide some activities for the students to to be better attuned to certain um, information. Mm. Okay, to get these affordances, as you say, uh, the, the, it seems that they're seeing more than me, or they're seeing everything. So they've been trained to refine this attunement to uh, cues that are important and with their training they just react what we would call uh, ordinarily automatically Mm. but it's it's not is that they've been doing that so many times that affordance appear just just, uh, right there and they use that these opportunities for many people they they cannot exploit that because they're not able even to perceive that. So the interesting thing is to provide these different tasks. And for instance, it's interesting what you say about the stress, because many times in Sistema, the level of stress, the inoculation of stress, it's uh, provided by the task, like, okay, without breathing or many people at the same time mm. or suddenly, I mean, all these things um, are used for you to be at, um, yeah, at, at uh, in a situation that is not comfortable mm. to you, but still 
is not a real real fight so it's in between so the 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 good thing is that um yeah they use a lot of these different constraints sure so they 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 raise your level of stress but then they put you some constraints on the way you can use your body mm. and then maybe i don't know uh, uh, there's less light or be in the in the woods instead sure. of a, a room sure. so all these things what they're doing is expanding your um, uh, your motor space or your space of motor solutions yeah so that's why you become very adaptive mm. you know one of the things my my instructor says that if he had to choose one word, would be adaptation or adaptability. So, Sistema, it's uh, about adaptability to many situations. Mm. That in traditional traditional martial arts or, com- or combat sports, they just train you for a very restricted set of situations. You mm. know, many times one on one aren't just facing one person that is clear that is going to uh, confront you and hit you so everything is very very restricted in some sense so if Mm. you change some of these circumstances then you get lost Join us here at NC Sistema the weekend of January 24th to 26th, 2020 for a deep exploration of Sistema principles with senior Sistema instructor Emmanuel Manolakakis. In this next seminar entitled Reconstruction, Emmanuel will guide you in the process of building your awareness, skill and control under a wide range of combative situations with a view to deepening and consolidating your abilities. This will be Emmanuel's second event at NC Sistema. The third and final event in the series is planned for January 2021. The event will be held at Mid-South Fences Club in downtown Durham, North Carolina, and is priced at $255 for the whole weekend if you register before January the 1st. Podcast patrons can save an additional 10% by entering the discount code PATRONS, that's P-A-T-R-O-N-S, all caps, at the checkout stage. Numbers for this seminar are strictly limited, so sign up online today at ncsystema.com slash events. See you there. So, so one thing that I've been really interested in and something that's permeated my teaching and training for the last, you know, 10 years, really. And I think it was actually Emmanuel Manolakakis who introduced me to Bernstein and his work mm-hmm. on motor problems is that um, if you have a spread of people in a group, and this is something that's fairly unique to Sistema as well, right? You have very different skill levels working together. You know, in some other traditional mm-hmm. martial arts, you separate out the black belts and the blue belts and the white belts. But here we have like beginners and, and veterans kind of working together at the same time. Yes. If you just yes. give the same level of stress and the same constraint sometimes to, to a whole group of people, the experts will mm-hmm. thrive because they're, they, they're like, well, this is difficult, but I'll find something, right? And the beginners just get lost immediately. They'll be like, oh, just, I can't do anything without my arms and they get stuck. But something that Bernstein, his whole idea of the, the complexity of motor mm-hmm. problems and dexterity, this idea that first you have to deal with tonus, your basic tonus, mm-hmm. um, then you deal with like just condition, uh, coordinating your limbs in space, you know, yes. then yes. translocating your body, your spine, like mm-hmm. moving locomotion through space. Mm-hmm. And then finally, these complex motions that integrate moving the whole body, moving hands, finding fine dexterity, timing which is ultimately where we're going with Sistema most of the time, right? Usually the response in Sistema involves a, a relationship with another moving body that you have to mm-hmm. perceive, you have to anticipate to some degree, you have to move the whole body, you have to do fine control. So there's a lot of things building up to that. And I found it's very helpful mm-hmm. to bear in mind Bernstein's things and, so, and start people off with just moving their spines. Also, the, mm-hmm. the, the constraint I'll introduce is you can't use your mm-hmm. hands or you can't use your legs mm-hmm. and then build those back in by degrees and then sort of say, well, all you can do is move your feet to defend strikes, for example, mm-hmm. you know, and then mm-hmm. give them things back back again. Is that, um, is, is that a helpful approach, do you feel, from a, from a neurological perspective? I've certainly seen it work well with my students, but I haven't actually seen it applied that widely. Do you know? I, I think. I mean, it's it's interesting what you say. What you say about uh, increasing the complexity of the task, and you can you, know, you can base that on these different levels mm. or bursting levels. But sometimes it's it's um, good also to 
to change level of complexity. So it's not, you know, like from easy, less easy, sure. complex, more complex. Yeah, that, that's fine. But sometimes it's easy, complex, okay. middle, okay. easy. So you, you can do it as well. Okay. Sure. Yeah, because this is, um, again, this is adding and, and you know, the, the, the strange thing or the difficult thing is that when people don't see like a clear structure of the class or clear progression, mm. they start to doubt mm. because many times you get more, uh, dexterity or you get uh, your skill level rising without noticing you know, that mm. you are learning, you're improving, but sometimes because also because our traditional ways of teaching, when people, and this is one of the main barriers in Sistema sometimes, you don't have uh, the belts or clear levels, you don't have the kata, mm. so you, it seems you don't have this structure, and for many people, um, this, this generates um, uncertainty. Yeah. You know, so if they stick uh, to the practice, they would see in a year how much they have improved. Mm. But in the short term, it seems like maybe, if, I don't know, I'm doing things and, and I'm not sure if I'm improving, mm. but in fact, you're doing so. But yeah, but I, I would say just as you say, sometimes you need to to give like um, a nice smooth progression, but mm. sometimes you guys just jump and go in at the deep back. end. Sure, yeah. Or that seems a bit like periodization. You know, in physical training, people do that sometimes, mm -hmm. right? If you do the same step-by-step mm -hmm. -step training, you can gain speed, you can gain endurance, you can uh, mm -hmm. gain strength. But if you don't test your body with something weird, like going up and down once yeah, in a while, yeah, then your sure, body gets sure. it adapts, and then you're not yeah. getting the same growth or the same benefits. So I guess that yeah, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Very cool. Yeah. So how this is um so you're you're practicing PJJ as well at the same time now. Do you feel like mm -hmm. these methodologies could be applied to other sports and other martial arts sure. to improve the way that people sure. accelerate the way people learn? Actually, I'm already seeing uh, this a little bit. There's some people online like Kit Dale, I think, a BJJ guy, and he's already saying, "Oh, you're learning BJJ wrong just by drilling the same things over and over again." Yeah, and it sure, seems to me sure. he's already using methodologies like this that where you take one thing and then you kind of uh, sure. you mutate it and you just kind of periodize and sort of see what you can find from one position so it seems like that's spilling over and there's some i don't know directly from sistema or from sports science generally but it seems like some of that's already happening in some corners yeah i would love to i mean people would use that kind of approach instead of just repetition and drills and again and again because in the end my my view is that um, the real learning for, I mean, for instance, in BJJ or in other arts is when they're sparring. Many people, they learn more in this uh, sparring uh, time that, than before, yeah. you know? And that's why in the sparring, you get people from different skills with different styles. So you get different motor problems, mm. you know, without gotcha. knowing it you're producing this, this learning environment. Mm. So you would think, oh, I'm learning because of the previous <laughs> part, but mm. my hunch is that you're learning precisely in, in these moments. Yeah. So yeah, I would love to see like more um, yeah, adapted practice, like constraint, not just pure, pure um, like, technical situation okay we're going to do this and this and this but yeah to be more yeah to, to introduce more things like that that we were talking about like like uh, more stress or situations that you cannot use that or you you just have these two or three solutions so you have to go for them i don't know something like this mm. but more yeah, more in this in this way so and how do we um how do we strike a balance between this kind of intuitive embodied exploratory mm -hmm. way of learning and the need sometimes mm -hmm. to acquire like very specific like fine points do you know what i mean so in the the sure. i think the uh, the beauty of bjj is that they have very very specific and very precise transitions and they're like 
If you're in a side control, you do this, you bring your elbows here, yeah. you put your chest here, and if you do that, the guy can't escape, and when you lift your shoulder, he will try and go this way, and then you can trap him this way. So it's very um, it's very precise, and in Aikido too, I did that for many years. There was, you know, you'd learn to do an arm lock or kotegayashi, or wrist lock or whatever, mm -hmm. and then you would learn fine points to making it more and more efficient over time. And we didn't typically do that by exploration. It was usually by, look, if you aim towards the armpit and then down into the hip, it's going to change things. And in Sistema, sometimes there are analogous things. Like you can learn to spar versus somebody with a knife, for example, and you can learn to use mm -hmm. your feet quite intuitively. Um, you can even learn to like, you know, let your body move away from the contact of a knife. But unless you mm -hmm. understand the principles of how to disarm, like how to redirect the fingers back towards the person yeah. Um, yeah. or extend them in some way, then you're probably not going to get the knife off them. So there's, there's sometimes it's, there's a point where you have to say, okay, you've explored, but now you're stuck. And or even yes. groundwork too. I see Sistema people who are great at controlling their weight and you know, flipping people over and getting on top of somebody, and then they have no idea what to do <laughs> once they're there. They can maybe like <laughs> smash around a little bit, but they just don't know how to choke or how to break arms and things. So some, at some point you have to be like, okay, here's some ideas for some things you could do. And then even then sometimes people are like getting frustrated and you're like, all right, well, here's the thing. Here's how you break his arm if you need to. How do we kind of, balance out the need for exploration and the need for specifics in training. Okay, so the idea is not to to work technique per se, decontextualize decontextualize for from a what I would call a tactical situation where you have to introduce a decision making. So you can explain certain parts, certain technical parts, but then you introduce that in a in an exercise. So instead of imagine, instead of doing just, okay, uh, arm lock, arm lock, arm lock, arm lock. Okay, you explain that, but then you introduce this thing in a situation in which they have to decide when to do it or how to do it. I mean, you can do it like a, not a normal sparring. You can put some rules mm. to to promote that this arm lock is going to appear and they can do this. Like limit okay, the so, type of attack or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, the idea is not to to work this like decontextualize of sep or separate and then you do free sparring. So mm -hmm. you, you just have the technical thing and then uh, all, mm -hmm. right? So in the middle, you need to to get some exercise in which you can use this technical ability mm. for them to integrate into more complex and more complex activity until in the end, and they're going to use in normal sparring, for instance. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the key word there seems to me to be integrate, right? It's like, because sometimes even you see people working on drills slowly in Sistema as well mm -hmm. as in BJJ and boxing mm -hmm. or whatever. And then, you know, they're working on the perfect right hook or they're working on, you know, how to move smoothly against the knife. And then maybe like the last 10, 15 minutes of the class, um, I say like, all right, turn up the juice, go for it. You know, um, and a common complaint like afterwards is uh, not, not among people who've been training a long time. Yeah. Usually they find a way yeah. of integrating sure. the thing they've learned. They understand it's sure. part of the progression. Um, but often when we sit in the circle afterwards, people are like, yeah, you know, it was a great class. I really see how the thing worked. But as soon as the pressure was on, it all went out the window. You know, they just yeah. went back to what they were doing before. So does yeah, that mean there's not enough There's not enough stepping stones? There's not enough integration between? I think so. I think so because in the, I mean, in the slow, slow mode, for instance, you don't have the constraint of a stress. Yeah. And in full sparring, you're going to have this stress for sure. Mm. So you need to build that because otherwise it's going to crumble. The ability is going to crumble because they're not prepared. Mm. So in between, you can design a myriad of activities. Mm. Like, you know, like more complex and slow motion, but sure. easier than than the other, but there are a, a whole bunch. I mean, you can be very imaginative there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's the, the, the magic of, of this approach is that it's not a formula. So you understand the principles mm. and then you can be very imaginative in the way that you want to expand their, their opportunities to explore that. Mm. Right. So you can always find new tasks, new activities by adding this, getting this out, putting this. I mean, yeah. there's 
whole, whole thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so what about the, um, the problem of, so I'm, I'm extremely enthusiastic about this whole approach, right? It's um, about mm-hmm. teaching in an embodied way and just recognizing mm-hmm. that we don't acquire skills just by stimulus response. He does this, you mm-hmm. do this. And, mm-hmm. and I've been all about it for more than a decade, right? I've been um, I'm teaching and training, but sometimes it seems we bump up against people. I feel like this is how humans learn and this should be the way mm-hmm. that we teach because humans learn sure. this way. Um, but you also sure. get this kind of idea that some people just don't learn well that way. You know, they'll tell you this. They say, like, oh, I just want to be told what the thing is to do. And you see people getting lost and they're like, just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Like, give me the technique and I'll do it. Do you think that's just an, an artifact of having been taught that way before? And if they can break free of that, then they'll learn better this way. Or they're genuinely people who just can't do this and they need to be told what to do. Like, For me, that's absolutely a bias that they have because of their habitual ways of uh, learning. Mm. Because if you see kids, they're learning in these natural ways mm. all the time. I mean, even if we cannot talk to them, they're going to learn how to uh, crawl, how to walk, how to run, how to do many things without explicit instructions on our parts. So that's our natural way of learning. But afterwards, through schooling and and all that, that is all has to be very order, very, you know, there's something there that, Maybe that wasn't the, the best way to do, but maybe you have a, a group of people, this is the way to organize the practice. It's easier for the instructor to do this, hmm. you know? So it has to do with, with all that stuff. And in the end, as you say, many people, they get lost and this uncertainty, uh, it gets in between the learning process. Mm. You know, I, re- I remember I, I taught uh, swimming classes and as you say, there were people that they wanted to know exactly what to do and how to do and blah, blah, blah. And I was explaining this and in the end they were like parrots in mm. the sense that they could talk a lot about technical positions and all these things, but they were not doing it. So in the end, they're just repeating the things, but they're not experiencing the things. So that's why when I talk about intellectualization is that many people, when they talk, it's like they're experts. Mm. But when when they're doing it, they're not experts. So there's some confusion there, right? It seems that if you understand this in your head, you know how to do it. No, no, no. Uh, I mean, there's a, a big difference. Yeah. You know, so so that's why that I I understand that many people want to be taught that way because they they feel more secure. Mm. But this is, I mean, not necessarily a better way to learn. Right. right? Maybe to to feel comfort comfortable within the class mm. is fine. Yeah. But not to learn. Mm. So do you, do you think we could do a better job of explaining explaining that to newcomers to Systema, for example, or people who might want to try it, that, that this really is, it's a training method which reflects what we know about neurobiology and what we know about learning, that it, it's already like built into the training method as this amazing way of acquiring mm. things? Because it's, it's difficult mm. sometimes to set Systema aside from other martial arts and say, well, oh, it's, it's great because... Blah blah blah. And people say, "Well, if I want to just fight, I can do Krav Maga or Muay Thai, or mm-hmm. and if I want to learn how to break people's arms off, I can do BJJ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and if I want to mm-hmm. learn just to be fit and healthy, then I can do yoga mm-hmm. or I can go running or something. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's um to me, it's this the learning method and the way that you study and what it does to your brain and your body and how you acquire mm-hmm. skills outside of Systema class, right? Is very very important. Do we do a good enough mm-hmm. job of telling people that, and how how can we get that across? I would say to people that um, Sistema and this constraints-led perspective um, is trying to talk directly to your nervous system. I know it sounds weird, but in the sense is that it doesn't want to connect with you verbally and then you try to influence your nervous system yourself. Mm. So it's, it, it tries to skip this part. Hmm. And instead of talking to you and then you make your ideas and then you try to execute what you understand, instead of doing that, you're trying precisely to avoid it. Because as we say earlier, your 
intentional and conscious control of many of, of the parts uh, is disrupting the movement. Mm. The self-organization pattern that we all, all have because we're in the world and many times you don't have to think about ways of walking in the street, okay? Mm. So you, you don't need to... But for me, this is not an mm, automatic thing. Mm. You know, you could say, okay, I do it automatically. No, no, no. You're doing... Mm, I mean, if it's an easy task like walking... You can do it unattentively, you know, not paying much attention. But imagine, or if you're driving, okay, you're driving, normal conditions, you can walk with your phone or whatever. But imagine if you are at uh, 300 miles per hour. You cannot do it, for sure, because it is very difficult. So it's not conscious or unconscious. It's where's your attention where's your focus of attention Mm. okay so the important thing when you're doing uh, difficult stuff is uh, avoid your attention to interfere into your uh, actions yeah okay so because many times if you pay attention to to the the tiny part that have to be uh, coordinated and all that you're going to destroy the whole thing yeah you know yeah Imagine and the, the wrist, the elbow, the, the whatever, many things. You, sure. you cannot do that. Yeah. So you have to have a, what is called a focus of attention that is going to allow you to um, to interact in proper ways with the environment and with the people around you. Yeah. You know? Well, that, that seems like um, it's a critical skill just for people going forward, you know, like more and more. I think people spend too much time intellectualizing, you know, just thinking about, you know, the, the, their work and their stress and they bring themselves under pressure this way. And the ability to get out of your head, to get back into your body and just let your body do things is, I think that's a, that's a perishing skill. <laughs> do you know what, what I like to say when instead of talking, for instance, of unconscious, I like a term, uh, an author called Kim Samudra was talking about hyperconscious. Mm. Hyperconscious is when you're present mm. here in the action, you're thinking in action and you're not out of the time of the action because many times when you try to reflect mm. and try to put your thinking there, you're stepping out of the time of the action. So that's why you're late. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or you get paralyzed because you're getting out of this moment. Yeah. You know? It's not that when you, when you're not reflecting, it's not that you're not thinking. Mm. You're thinking in action. Yeah. Right? Thinking in action. But when you're reflecting at the same time, you're stepping out of the time of the action. Mm. So this, this delay it creates you a lot of trouble, a lot of problems. Mm. I think we definitely need to... You definitely need to chat to my friend Martin Wheeler on that one. Too. He he talks about the same thing that like we've had chats on an individual level. He calls it super conscious, same thing. And he's uh, he's thinking and working a lot about that, I think. And uh, uh, so, yeah, definitely we need to get you two talking. <laughs> Brilliant. Do you know in in martial arts, when you say sanshin, mm. you know, this is a state of sanshin, like open attention, yep. mm. That's very important because you're not introducing uh, reflections mm. there that is going to disrupt your perception, but you're open to everything that is going on sure. about movement, about hearing, about proprioception, about all that. Mm. You know? So you're present there, you're hyper-conscious there. So do you think maybe this, this was something that was probably known to older masters of you know karate and kung fu and stuff like this and maybe somewhere in the formalization of the teaching of karate and judo and things like that but maybe we lost that concept and people talk about mushin and sanshin but they don't really know what it means anymore so. sure yeah. sure i think i think they they suffer the same as the western culture in the schooling of martial arts you know instead of a very small groups, very individualized uh, teaching in the Koryu tradition. Mm. When you have uh, 20 or 30 people as a group and you have to, to give like a, I don't know, like a calisthenics class, 
Yeah. So you're going to, to do this kind of thing. So you lose many, many things in, in, in the middle. But at least in the, in the Asian tradition, even if they're not talking the same uh, precise terms, but they were very sensitive to this experience, not only in the head, but the whole being there yeah. in the experience. So, yeah. Well, fascinating. Brilliant. So, so are you um, having done work on like looking at MMA and judo? Have you got any designs on formally studying Sistema or, like in your research? Have you got any capacity to do that? Mm, but for the moment, I, I would like to, to write a piece. Hmm. Maybe we can do it together, some of these pieces, like uh, just to say how Sistema uh, embodies these constraints that... Methodology, maybe comparing to other traditional martial arts or traditional ways of doing things, just for yeah, just for 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 the the audience to to know more about why why yeah. this is a unique way of presenting or yeah, yeah or studying I'll, martial arts. So absolutely, I would love to. I'll be uh, I'll be honored to kind of collaborate on that. That would be great. <laughs> okay, fantastic, girl. So um, so you're you're training in the Madrid group, so people can find you training there in Madrid. It's a beautiful city. I was just there. Um, so my parents live in Spain now. They retired there from England. So my parent my parents live in Murcia, and my sister lives in Altea, like south of uh, Valencia. So my whole family is in Spain now. So I have to come all the time. So <laughs> so maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll meet person to person maybe next year. Yeah, sure. Sure, sure. If you come to Spain, yeah. uh, if you come to Madrid, uh-huh. I mean Sistema Madrid, where the we're the only group in Madrid, so it's easy right. to find it. But whereabouts do you train? So, uh, whereabouts in the city? Is it in the center? Or? Uh, it's in the center, but north. It's um, okay. Barrio del Pilar, La Baguada. I mean, oh. it's uh, within the, the, the city. You don't have to go to other, I mean, the outskirts, sure. but it's kind of north. Okay, great. North of the city. And uh, well, I'll post some links to that so people can find you if there are if there's people in Spain listening to this who don't know that system in Madrid. Great. And where do people can people find out more about your work, um, your published work, or do they have to have like a PubMed and uh, you know, research gate like uh, credentials to read your stuff? If you put a Raúl Sánchez CV, yeah, uh, I have like a WordPress. Uh, page that okay. I post my publications there. So I think this is the, the easiest way to, to see some of my work. Great. So people, if they right. want to go deep, they can read more there. So. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today, Raul. This was a real pleasure. It was uh, enlightening for me. I feel inspired. I'm off to teach a class on the knife work in about an hour. So I'm going to go deep on making making people periodize and making them uncomfortable and then comfortable again. So. <laughs> Okay, so it was so nice to talk to you, Glenn. I'm a very big fan of your podcast, so I learn a lot about Sistema with the podcast, so I'm glad to be part of it. So thank you. Thank you so much. That's brilliant. This is fantastic. Thanks. Talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com. Thank you.